Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. It's not our old bodies that we are going to carry into heaven, and aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful God doesn't just resurrect your old body and, you know, put some duct tape around it and some glue and try to hope it holds together for all eternity? No, it's not our old bodies. Our old bodies are raised, but then they are completely renovated. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. The Bible says that God is making all things new, and that includes our bodies. Someday in heaven, we'll all receive new and improved bodies built to last for eternity. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So what exactly will those bodies be like? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains how our heavenly forms will be different from our earthly bodies. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. For this entire month of September, we're getting acquainted with the place God is preparing for those who trust in Christ, a place called heaven. Let's be clear, heaven is not a fictional place. It's not a state of mind. Heaven is real. And when we truly embrace the reality of our forever home, it puts our daily suffering into perspective. For this reason and more, I've written a brand new book for you. It's intended to help you celebrate what God has prepared for you as a means for coping with any kind of loss you might be feeling right now. And once you're done reading Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven, I expect you'll want to pass it along to a friend who's dealing with loss of any kind right now. The book is filled with life-giving Bible verses, beautiful pictures, and comforting wisdom. Your copy of Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven will be sent to your home when you include a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Now, let me begin today's program with a question. When you stepped in front of the mirror, the first thing this morning, was there anything about your face or your body that you wish could be changed? Wrinkles, maybe, a receding hairline? Well, in our current series about a place called heaven, I'm going to answer a frequently asked question. Will we know one another in heaven? Growing old is not for the faint of heart. With age come aches, ailments, and sometimes a few extra pounds. The late humorist Irma Bombeck once wrote, I'm not telling you what I weigh, but when I measure my girth and then step on the scales, I ought to be a 90-foot redwood. (laughs) Unfortunately, most people don't age gracefully. Along with a few extra pounds come hearing loss, fading eyesight, aches, creaking joints. You know, getting older reminds me a lot of what Jesus said to Peter in John 21, verse 18. He said, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. (laughs) Anybody identify with that already? You know, uh, part of growing older also... uh, means not always recognizing people. Have you ever had the experience of going to a high school or a college reunion 
You look at people, you don't recognize them. If it wasn't for their name tag, you wouldn't know who they are. Even worse, they don't recognize you. And perhaps worse of all, have you ever stood in the mirror and looked at yourself and wondered, who is that person? Which all brings up an interesting question. And that is, when we get to heaven, what will our bodies be like? Will we know one another? Will other people know us? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. In our series, A Place Called Heaven, we're answering 10 of the most frequently asked questions in heaven. And today we're going to answer the question, will we know one another in heaven? Now, to answer that question, we first of all need to understand something about Jesus' promise of a resurrection body. In heaven, the Bible is very clear. We're not just going to be some spirit floating around. We are going to have a physical body. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise when you look at God's original plan for us. God's original design for us was both a spirit and a body. Look at Genesis 2-7 about God's original creation. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We were made from dust, something real. God breathed life into us, and we became a living being. Without a physical body, Adam and Eve never would have been a being, and without the Spirit, the breath of God, they never would have become living beings. God created us originally body and spirit. And that's why it should be no surprise that in eternity, we will always exist in a body as well as be spirit. God's future plan for us includes a physical resurrection. Whenever we look at the Bible, we find that there are actually two resurrections that will occur. Did you know it's not only Christians who will receive a new body, unbelievers will also receive a new body for eternity. A believer's body is necessary so that we can experience God's unending blessing. Unbelievers must receive a body so that they can experience God's everlasting judgment. But everybody is going to be raised from the dead. Everyone is going to have a resurrected body. The Bible talks about two resurrections. The resurrection for believers, for Christians, is called the first resurrection. In Revelation 20, verse 6, John says, Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. What is the first resurrection? The first resurrection, now get this, doesn't refer to a point in time. Instead, the first resurrection refers to that group of people, believers, who will receive a new body to experience God's blessing. Not every believer will receive his new body at the same point in history. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and 23. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Some people, some of us will receive our resurrection body at the rapture. 
at the rapture, remember, the uh, Lord himself will descend from heaven. And the dead in Christ, that is, those believers who have already died since the time of Pentecost, they will be raised. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and 53 say, at that time, we will be changed and receive our new bodies. But then there will be other people who will receive their new bodies at the second coming of Jesus seven years later after the tribulation. And then there's another group of believers who are saved during the millennium who will receive their new bodies at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ. But all of those people are part of the first resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous. In Daniel 12, 2, Daniel says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake believers to everlasting life, but others, the unbelievers, to disgrace and everlasting contempt. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the saved. But there is a second resurrection, and that is the resurrection of all the unsaved. There will be a time in the future when every unbeliever who's ever been born is going to have be raised from the dead. Right now, when an unbeliever dies, he goes to Hades, the temporary place of the unsaved, a place of torment and suffering. Jesus talked about that in Luke 16, about the rich man who died, and the Bible says, and being in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And unlike the first resurrection that occurs in stages over a period of time, The second resurrection, the resurrection of unbelievers, all occurs at one point in history, immediately before the great white throne judgment. We find it described in Revelation 20, verses 13 and 14, the resurrection of the unsaved. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, everyone, according to their deeds. Remember, they rejected the grace of God. They said, I don't need God's forgiveness. I'll be judged by my works. And so God allows every unbeliever to be judged by his works. And as good as his works may be, no unbeliever is good enough to inherit heaven. None of us is. We need the grace of Jesus. Verse 14 says, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, Gehenna. This is the second death, the lake of fire. The two resurrections, everyone, believers and unbelievers, will receive a new body for all eternity. Now that raises an interesting question. How is it possible that people whose bodies have died could have bodies that ever come to life again? How can something that has died ever come to life again? Actually, the Corinthian Christians had that very same question. Paul, we believe in a spiritual resurrection, but a literal physical resurrection, how can that be? In 1 Corinthians 15, 35, Paul anticipated that question. He said, but someone will say, how are the dead raised and what kind of body do they come? What kind of body do they have? Let me put a finer point on that question. Think about those Victims of September the 11th, 2001, some who were incinerated, thousands of them at the World Trade Center in New York City, or still others who were obliterated when the planes crashed into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon. Think about those body parts. What happened to those bodies that were incinerated in that disaster? Or think about somebody who dies in a car accident. 
He's indicated on his driver's license that he's going to allow his body to be donated to those who need the body parts. Just think about what happens to that person's body. His eyes go to Ethel. His kidney goes to Sydney. And uh, on and on, the Bible, the body parts are distributed one to another, to another, to another. How in the world does God put all that back together again? Have you ever thought about that? How is it that the dead are raised? How is a resurrection at all possible? Well, Paul answers that question by using an analogy, and that is of planting and harvesting. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 36 to 38, where Paul explains how a resurrection happens. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body, which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds, a body of its own. Think of planting and harvesting. What's involved in that? Well, first of all, when you plant a seed, that means the seed actually dies. If you plant a watermelon seed in the ground, that seed dies before it ever comes to life. And so it is with the resurrection. When we die, that death is necessary for there to be a future harvest. If you don't plant a seed and the seed dies, never will a harvest come months later. It's the same way with us, Paul says. Death is not only inevitable, it is necessary. It has to happen for us to ever inherit God's kingdom. Verse Corinthians 15, 36, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And he explains why in verse 50, for flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit that which is imperishable. Think of it this way. Your body is perfectly designed for this world, but your body is totally not suitable for Residents on Mars or Pluto or any other planet. Your body is only suitable for this planet. And it's the same way in terms of this earth and the new earth and the new heaven. Our bodies are designed for this earth, but they are totally inadequate for the new heaven and the new earth. And that's why Paul says flesh and blood, that is what we have right now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And that's why it's necessary that we die first, that our bodies be placed in the ground, so to speak, planted so that something better can be harvested later. And that leads to the second part of the process, the reaping of the harvest. Notice something about the relationship between the planting and the harvest. First of all, the harvest is superior to the seed. What is harvested is always superior to the seed. For example, let's just imagine it's a hot day here in Dallas, Texas in August, 110 degrees in the shade. You've been out working in the yard. You come in and you need some refreshment and you've got a choice. You can either have a cold slice of watermelon or you can eat a watermelon seed. Now, which would you choose? The watermelon or the watermelon seed? I think everybody would choose the slice of watermelon because the harvest is always superior to the seed. It's the same way with the resurrection. What is harvested at the resurrection, our new body is vastly superior to that which is planted. You know, 
it's important to understand that at the resurrection, it's not our old bodies that we are going to carry into heaven. And aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful God doesn't just resurrect your old body and you know put some duct tape around it and some glue and try to hope it holds together for all eternity? No, it's not our old bodies. Our old bodies are raised, but then they are completely renovated in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And what we receive is much superior to what was planted. But secondly, the harvest is also similar to the seed. It's superior to the seed, but it's similar to the seed. I mean, you don't plant a watermelon seed and harvest a kumquat, okay? If you plant a a watermelon seed, guess what? You get a watermelon. And it's the same way with us. When our bodies die, it's not someone else who is resurrected. We don't get a body that is totally dissimilar to what we were. Our new bodies are going to resemble our old bodies. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But if you want a good idea of what your resurrection body is going to be like for eternity, the best place to look is to look at Jesus himself. Jesus is the prototype of our resurrection body. In 1 John 3 verse 2, the apostle writes, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him just as he is. The best answer to what we're going to be like in our new bodies is to look at the resurrection body of Jesus. Remember, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he spent 40 days on the earth ministering to people. So, Let's ask the question, first of all, was Jesus' resurrection spiritual or physical? There were some in the Corinthian church who said, oh, we believe Jesus was raised from the dead, but we believe it was a spiritual resurrection. We can't believe that he was literally physically raised from the dead. And so in verses 3 and 4, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes it clear that the physical resurrection of Jesus is the very essence of the gospel message. Paul wrote, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Just like we sang a few moments ago, the resurrection of Jesus is the heart of the gospel. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. It was a physical resurrection. How do I know that? Well, just look at what happened to Jesus over those 40 days he was on the earth in his resurrection body. 17 different times he conversed with his disciples. On three occasions, he ate with his disciples. On two different occasions, he allowed his disciples to touch him. What was Jesus' resurrection body like? First of all, it was superior to his earthly body. Now, Jesus was without sin in his earthly body, but he had limitations just like you and I have in our earthly bodies. But in his resurrection body, he was vastly superior. For example, on several occasions, Jesus was able to materialize at a place at will. He was able to come through a door that was locked. He had abilities in his new body that he didn't have in his original body. But secondly, Jesus' body was also similar to his earthly body. If you look at the accounts of those 40 days Jesus spent on earth, you will discover that those who knew him best eventually 
recognized him. I say eventually because many times they didn't immediately recognize him. You say, well, why is that? Several reasons. Some were so full of sorrow they couldn't see clearly. One appearance happened when it was still dark and they couldn't make out his features. On another occasion, the distance between Jesus and his disciples were great enough to obscure recognizable features. Some were disbelieving. They didn't believe he was really going to come back again. Others weren't expecting to see him at all. I've had that happen. Have you ever had that happen when you saw somebody you knew well, but it didn't register who they were because you didn't expect to see them there? Sometimes we've been at the mall and we've seen friends of ours from Wichita Falls or from Eastland and we looked at them, but it didn't immediately register it was them because they weren't supposed to be there. They were supposed to be in Wichita Falls or Eastland. What were they doing here? Well, that's the way it was for some of Jesus' disciples. They didn't immediately recognize him. They weren't expecting to see him, but they eventually recognized him. What is it that caused them to recognize Jesus? There was some similarity between Jesus' earthly body and his new body. Perhaps it was his stature. Perhaps it was the color of his eyes or his hair. Perhaps it was a mannerism that he had that caused them to recognize him. You know, in Luke chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, remember, and the disciples didn't recognize him immediately, but then he ate with them, and verse 35 says, Jesus was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Something with the way Jesus broke the bread made them recognize him. Maybe it was the fact that Jesus took the loaf in his right hand and he broke it with his left hand because he was left-handed. You know, if Jesus was left-handed in his earthly body, there's no reason to think he wouldn't be left-handed in his new body. Perhaps it was the habit of the way he did it. Instead of breaking it in half, perhaps he tore off the ends first. But something about Jesus was recognizable. Well, that leads to the question, what will our bodies be like in heaven? Remember, John said, we shall be like him. Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. That word firstborn is the Greek word prototakos. Prototakos. And you know what that word means. Prototakos. He is the prototype of those who are to be raised from the dead. I don't want to rush through this important study, and so we've reserved tomorrow's program to continue answering the question, will we know one another in heaven? In addition, I'll remind you that I've written a brand new book to help you take your understanding of heaven to the next level. My new book is titled Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. To be clear, this book is brand new and a wonderful next step resource. And here's why. It's specifically written to encourage those who are going through a season of sadness. Look, when we're grieving the loss of a loved one or when we're struggling with illness, it truly helps us to remember that God is preparing a place for us in heaven. This book is for you, but it's also for the friend in your life who is dealing with loss as well. So when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request your copy of Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. It comes with my thanks for your investment in our ministry. And let me assure you, your gifts are truly making a difference. 
For example, I received a message recently from Dale, who listens in Tennessee. Dale recently wrote, Pastor Jeffers, even though I grew up in the church, from the time I was a baby all the way through my enrollment at a private Christian school, I never accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Well, I finally accepted the Lord. Thank you for all you do at Pathway to Victory to reach people like me. Dale, that's exactly why this ministry exists. And now, friends, let me hear from you. Your generous gift today will reach men and women like Dale who are craving to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You can request your copy of the brand new book, Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Call us toll-free, 866-999-2965, or visit online at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you all 12 messages from the teaching series, A Place Called Heaven. You'll get that on CD and DVD, plus a copy of the original best-selling book by Dr. Jeffress titled, A Place Called Heaven. To request this special package of resources, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress continues to answer the question, Will we know one another in heaven? That's Friday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane in your Bible. And now, it's time for you to see these remarkable sights for yourself. Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel, April 25th through May 5th, 2023. To learn more and to reserve your spot, go to ptv.org.